Uh, you can go ahead and have a seat, if you will. Uh, hope you're doing good. Hope you've had a, a good week this week. Um, today, we're going to uh, take a break uh, from what we've been doing for the last several weeks. And, and uh, just want to take some time just to worship this morning. Um, just to really press into God and His presence and we want to exalt him every Sunday, but to do that more today through worship and prayer um, than the typical format, I guess, that we use. Uh, we want to really encourage you this morning to remember, uh, to remember what God has done, to remember who God is, to remember um, God's faithfulness in your life, even through challenging and tough times, that God's grace is ability to do for you and in you and through you what you can't do for yourself that it's been there. So I want to encourage you to remember. One of the ways that Jesus told us to remember is through communion. We come and we here we take the bread, we dip it into the juice and we eat it, but we do it in remembrance of Jesus, in remembrance of his body that was put on the cross that bore our sin and bore the wrath of God for our sins so that by faith now we can be made right with God. Um, the, the juice that represents his blood, the blood of this new covenant between us and God, um, the fact that his sacrifice paid the price for our sin. We remember those things. And I want to encourage you that sometime during this service, uh, you take time to reflect and examine your own heart and let God speak to you and you lay down things that maybe are hindering you from coming to God. Maybe sin and it may just be apathy, whatever that may be. I want to encourage you to examine your hearts. And then as you feel led for you to come and you take the bread, you take the juice, you take communion, you can pray here. You can go back to your seat, you can pray. Um, but let's let this be one of our acts of worship this morning and one way that we remember. We do have gluten-free bread to my left if, if that's something that you need. It'll be over here to my left, your right, um, and invite you to do that. Uh, today, before we begin to sing again, I, I do want to share some things with you. And, and I hope in this that it, it stirs something in you to hear the scriptures that I'm going to read. I, I hope that, and I feel like if the Spirit is in us, that when we reflect on God and who he is and what he's done, that it should stir something in us towards worship. And I've shared with y'all many times how when I come in here, one of the things I begin to think about is the four questions that I oftentimes mention to you. You know, who is God? Who am I apart from Jesus? What's God done? And who have I become? And when I begin to think about those things, it stirs me to worship God. Even throughout the week, when I think about those things, it stirs me to worship God. And so I want to share some scriptures with you this morning that points us to that. I've been thinking a lot about the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. And we know there's power in the name of Jesus. But I got to thinking about how Jesus' name is powerful, not because of the letters, not because of the name itself, but because of who the name represents. The name is powerful because Jesus is powerful. And I want us today to realize again the power 
of Jesus, the power of Jesus' name to bring us to salvation, to use us for his glory. And I want us to do that first by beginning and looking at some passages that give us a better understanding of who God is, his glory, and the power of who he is, his character and nature that's represented in Christ. So listen to this. This is Psalm 18. I'll just read these to you and just listen to these. It says in Psalm 18, verse 30, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. So his way is perfect. His his word, his truth is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. He says, for who is God besides the Lord and who is our rock except our God? Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses says this. He says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God, the greatness of our God. He is the rock His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. A couple of those scriptures speaking to the character and nature of God. We know that God is righteous, he's just, he's good, he's loving. We know these things about his character. And now I want you to listen uh, to one out of Revelation. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I've read it more than once over the last few years. And I want you to keep in mind who's writing this. As we read this out of Revelation chapter one, this is the apostle John who's writing this. The apostle John who described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved because of his close relationship with Jesus. So close to Jesus that at the last supper, the Bible tells us he actually reclined with his head on Jesus's chest. And this is what he writes as he's been exiled to the island of Patmos because of preaching the gospel and his faith in Jesus. He's been exiled. And this is where he's writing from. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And listen, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. The glory of the risen Christ so great that this disciple who was so close to Jesus that he reclined with his head on his chest and yet when he sees Jesus in his glory, he falls at his feet as though he were dead. But Jesus, he says, placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. 
Do you know why he holds the keys of death in Hades? Because when he came and he died, lived and he died and he rose again, he snatched them out of Satan's hands. Write therefore what you've seen, what is now and what will take place later. Another passage that speaks very similar to this is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. These, these beings, these majestic beings that God has created, that they're awesome in and of themselves in the presence of God and, is, and how amazing and awesome, perfect, just, righteous, all of these things that make up his character, all the glory, the weight of his presence, they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But when we look at Jesus, the Bible tells us we look at him, we see who God is. John saw Jesus in his glory, fell as though he were dead. But we also know that we look at Jesus as he was on earth, that he was not just fully God, he was also fully man. And when we look at Jesus, this is the thing that we see. We see who we were intended to be, the, the perfect humanity, what we were intended to look like. The problem for us now, though, is when we look at Jesus, we, we realize we're not like him. I'm not like him. I'm not a picture of perfect humanity as it was intended to be. And Isaiah recognizes this as he's in the presence of God. It's this, this vision of God that he sees. Verse five, he says this, woe to me. I am ruined for a, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When he sees the glory, he realizes I am a sinful man. It's much like Peter when he was in the boat with Jesus and he has this miraculous catch of fish and he falls on his face and he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. In the presence of God, when this revelation comes, we realize how perfect and good and righteous he is, but we realize how we're not that. You go to Romans chapter three, Paul writing to the Romans and speaking about how Jews and Gentiles are all under the power of sin. He says this in Romans 3, 9, he says, what shall we conclude then? Do we, in other words, do we Jews have any advantage? Not at all in regards to sin at least. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no one... There is no fear of God before their eyes. He goes on in the verse, you know, that's 
that we all have probably heard at some point, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When I look at Jesus, when I see how holy God is, I realize I'm not like that. Paul goes on and talks about this more. When he's writing to the Corinthians, he says this in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, brothers and sisters, and this is the remembrance, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. In Romans 3, he says, you're all sinful. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says, you're not all that. You weren't all that. Listen, there was nothing about you that God looked at and said, I I just, man, I, I would never be complete without them. Nothing in and of ourselves that deserved it. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's writing and he's, he's getting on to them because they're living very fleshly. They're, they're not treating each other right. They're not using wisdom. And in verse 7, he says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and that is what some of you were. He continues on in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter two, he says, as for you, he's writing to the churches in and around Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And see, this is the part of the gospel that we like to kind of leave out because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't feel good to see the glory of God, to see what we were intended to be, to have to humble ourselves and admit, I'm not like that. To have to look and, and realize the darkness that's in my own heart, the selfishness, the self-seeking, the sin that I've committed that it's just dark. And if we stop there, we stop in despair. But I think for many of us, that's where we kind of live. We don't move on. We, we see who God is. We see that we're not like him. And we live our lives in a place of despair, in, in this place of condemnation. And we never move on to what Jesus has done. But I want to go back to each of those scriptures that I just read um, that show that we're not like God. And I want you to hear the rest of what they say or the next part of what they say. Isaiah 6 Verse six, after he says, I'm ruined, for I've seen the Lord, the King, the King, the Lord Almighty. He says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So even in the Old Testament, in this vision, Isaiah sees the Lord. He realizes, I'm not like that. I'm ruined. I'm un- Literally, I'm coming undone because I'm in the presence. I've seen the holy God. And God says, but, but Isaiah, I'm going to make a way for you to become clean. And he takes a coal from the altar and he touches his lips and says, now you've been made clean. We see throughout the Old Testament this foreshadowing of of God taking away the sin of man. When you go to Romans chapter three and it talks about no one's righteous, not even one. It says in verse 21, we're about to read some scriptures with huge transitions. He's talking about how no one is righteous, but he gets to verse 21 and he says, but, but, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. What's he saying? He's saying people like Isaiah told us that one day there's gonna be a way for us to be made righteous and it's not gonna be because of our works because no one by their works is gonna make themselves right with a holy God. He's saying, but God, but God apart from the law has given us a righteousness. He says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But listen, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, when we come to faith, belief and trust in God through, in, in Christ, then we receive the righteousness of Jesus. Go now back to 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were. Remember what you were. We don't want to live in the past and be stuck in the past and in the condemnation of our shortcomings. But we also don't ever want to forget what God's brought us to and what he saved us from and then what he saved us for. He says, not many of you are wise. He goes through all of that. And then he says, but in verse 27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, listen, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast. No, let no one who boasts boast in the Lord. And listen, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you are nothing. You are the despised things. But God in his wisdom chose you the despised things to make the world's wisdom look foolish. He says, that's what you were, but God. Verse six, he goes through all the stuff and he says, these won't inherit the kingdom. He says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. What's he saying? He's like, look, This is how you're living. This is how you used to be. This is who you were. Now you are this, so live like this. This isn't who you are anymore. You've put on the righteousness of Jesus. Now this is who you are, so live this way. See who you are in Christ. 
Ephesians chapter 2. We're dead in sin, deserving wrath. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness in Christ, in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians, he tells us there's no room for boasting in our salvation. There's no room for boasting in ourselves. He says, listen, if we're going to boast, we're going to boast in the Lord. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to boast in the Lord. We're going to declare the praises of God. We're going to declare the, the works of God. We're going to declare the character and nature of God. We recognize that at one time we were sinners. We recognize that we are not like God in and of ourselves, but we also recognize that by faith in Jesus, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son in whom he loves. And not only are we in the kingdom of the Son in whom we love, or he loves, but we've become children of God, sons and daughters in his kingdom. And we're gonna worship him today because of who he is, and even, listen, even because of who we were, because now in light of the darkness of my life, I can see the light of the gospel and how the, the gospel, the light of Jesus has swallowed up the darkness. And now I'm clothed with Christ from head to toe. It's why I can come boldly before his throne of grace. Why? Because it's not my own righteousness. I'm clothed from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet to the tips of my fingers with fingers, with the righteousness of Jesus. With his righteousness, he became unrighteous so that I could become the righteousness of God. Now I've been raised with him. What does it mean? I have life. I don't have to live the way I've always lived. Why? Because Jesus snatched the keys and the authority away from Satan. And now he's got them. And now we have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, through the community of believers to not do what we once did, but to live in the new life that he's given us. We're going to worship him because of all these things today. If we boast, we're going to boast in the Lord. There's no such thing as a self-made man. Anything that we are, we owe to him. Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Even God, when we look into your word and we see how far short we come, today we praise you because even when we were enemies, even when we rebelled against you, even when we turned our backs on you, even when we blasphemed you, even when we ridiculed those who love you, God, you still showed your love to us. You still called us. You still made a way for us. God, there's not one person in this room that would have done that. There's not one person in this room that would have given their son 
so that we can be made right with you. And so this morning, God, we want to boast in you. We want to exalt you, God. We want to sing to you. We want to make our declaration known to you, God. We worship you today in this place. Thank you for your presence here right now with us. Would you move in our hearts? Would you draw us close? Would you mend us and repair us? Would you send us out just like you did Isaiah? Would the cry of our hearts this morning be, God, that here we are, send us to declare your message. Even when it's not comfortable, even when it doesn't fit our agenda, God, would you convict us in such a way that we can't help but do the things you've put in our hearts. Can we do them, Lord? Would you, would you show us again your love and grace that it would be the motivation of our hearts to do everything you've put before us?